Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris. I'm co-founder of the online magazine, The Refined Woman, and my vision is to create a safe space where we can take off that Superman cape of having it all together and share our stories authentically and honestly. I really believe people are dying for the permission to be vulnerable, to just go there, but it takes someone being willing to go there first. It's my desire to do just that and invite you and others to do the same by removing that shiny mask of perfection and courageously sharing the imperfect journeys of life, spirituality, love, business, and everything in between. Welcome to another episode of the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris, coming to you from my Brooklyn apartment in my closet. Um, Today's setup is extra special because I figured I could get my microphone closer to me if I made a tower of books on top of my laptop keyboard. So let me know if the sound sounds better. And you guys never despise small beginnings, right? Like, I think recording from my closet with my clothes all around me keeps me humble. Now, before we get started on this week's solo episode, I have another solo show for you. There's a couple of things I want to talk with you about. One, the Met Gala was last night. And I'm not a huge fashion person, even though The Refined Woman did start out as a style blog six and a half years ago. If you want to have a fun time, why don't you go down memory lane and go very back to the beginning of The Refined Woman Instagram? You'll see my my style post. And y'all, it was like a struggle fest for me. Like I just did not know what I was doing. And now I'm just happy as a clam that I'm not doing as many style posts anymore. Um, anyways, last night was the Met Gala. I love the first Monday in May because it is such a fun time to see the celebrities come out, see what's happening at the Met Museum and people just get like really creative with their style, which I just think is like so incredible. And I always just wonder like, what is it like to walk a red carpet or last night's pink carpet? Like, do you think they're so nervous and shaking and like, oh my gosh, practice finding their angle a million times because people are photographing them from every angle. Like, I just feel like I would be so nervous. (laughs) But I just want to tell you a few of my top outfits. Lady Gaga stole the show. She was behind Anna Wintour, one of the first people on the pink carpet for this year's theme of camp, which means like going extra, extravagant, um, Lady Gaga had four outfits for the red carpet. Like if you have not looked it up, it's so ridiculous and absurd and amazing. I loved every second of it. Um, I loved Cardi B's dress. It was so over the top and extra. Um, This maroon, crazy dress. Um, Celine Dion had this like huge headpiece. I mean, she just looked straight out of Vegas, which is where she's coming from. But I think one of my favorites also, Katy Perry was literally a chandelier. Like she was a lamp. Like sometimes you're watching the Met Gala and you're like, is this just a big human social experiment where like (laughs) the joke's on us? Like you're a lamp? Like I don't get it. Uh, But it was freaking awesome. 
So those are my thoughts on Met Gala 2019. Um, I love I'll, the last person I'll talk about is Maria Sharapova. She's one of the top female tennis players in the world. I'm an ex-tennis player. I played in college and coached for years before I moved to New York. And Maria Sharapova has been like my style icon for a really long time. I personally think it's super important to have a celebrity that has a similar body shape as you. So you can figure out, oh, like here's someone that like dresses for her body type. Like I'm always trying to figure out how to dress for my body type. I'm 5'10". I have an athletic build. I don't have a ton of curves. And Maria Sharapova is similar in that way, but like in way better shape than me. So I always look to her for style inspiration. She's super minimalistic and loves neutral color palettes and is this like tomboy chic, which I am all about. And I was watching her Instagram stories yesterday and her idea of camp was probably like what I would have done. She wore like a black dress with a little bit of red and a wing tip eye. And she was like, this is as crazy as this minimalistic girl can get. And I was like, girl, I feel you. I feel you. All right. So thoughts on Met Gala? Let me know on Instagram. I would love to hear. Okay, next. Now, I don't know if you listened to last week's episode. I talked about my past struggle with an eating disorder in college and really tried to support you and identifying if there was dysfunction in the way that you view and have a relationship with food and your body. And sometimes I put this stuff out there and I'm like, God, is this, is this like, is anyone listening? Like, does this matter? And Throughout this whole journey, I think God continually reminds me that he cares about the one and that if one person listens to this podcast or an episode or collides with one sentence of my content and feels encouraged, connected to themselves, God, in a new way, then to me, that is success. And now I typically read an iTunes review for you guys before the episode starts, but this is a DM I got yesterday. I'm going to keep it anonymous, but the girl said, Dear Cat, I just wanted to say a big, huge thank you, sis. I just listened to your podcast on eating disorders and it was like the lights went on for me. I always suspected I had an eating disorder, but it was subtle. Truth is, I've struggled since boarding school and didn't realize that I had internalized my destructive eating habits and relationship with my body. Your podcast brought it all to the surface. Pretty wild, but I feel like I can finally surrender it to God and heal. I read that and... I just, first of all, I'm just so humbled and blown away that this person would reach out to me and share her heart. And am also just so grateful that my past, my pain, my struggle, and my path to freedom could encourage another human being. And that's why I do what I do. Um, That right there, it was just like God reminding me, this is why sharing your story matters. This is why your voice matters. This is why sharing healing and sharing the not so good parts of our past matters because someone is going to relate. And it's going to be a breakthrough for that person. My pain, my freedom becomes someone else's breakthrough. Um, And if that's true for me, it's true for you as well. So um, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, listen to this one first and then go back to iTunes, go to your podcast app on your phone. And it is the episode entitled, Do I Have an Eating Disorder? 
All right, let's get into today's episode. Is your dream too big for you? It better be because that will force you to pray circles around it. If you keep circling it in prayer, God will get bigger and bigger until you see your impossible prayer for what it really is, an easy answer for an almighty God. That is a quote from Mark Batterson from a book I'm currently reading, The Circle Maker. It's transforming the way I pray. It's transforming the way I interact with God on a daily basis. And because of that, this week, I want to talk about breakthrough. I want to talk with you about how to pray for breakthrough, how to expect for breakthrough, how to praise before the breakthrough. So last week, I was at a prayer service. I go to a midweek prayer service that my church puts on. And we're in this huge, sprawling Catholic church in Soho, and we're singing, and the voices are echoing, and I'm standing there, and I had never heard this song before, but we kept singing these lyrics, praise before the breakthrough. I will praise you, God, before the breakthrough. And After singing this line over and over again, I just was halted. Like, do you ever have those moments where God like stops you in your tracks? This was that moment for me. And I just sat down in the middle of this song, took out my journal, and I started thanking God for all of the unanswered prayers in my life, all the things that I am begging God for in breakthrough, I was thanking God like they had already happened. And that felt almost arrogant to me, or it felt like this counterintuitive thing in my brain to do. Like, I'm going to thank God before it even happens. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. So God, thank you so much for the husband that you are bringing into my life. Thank you so much that he is a man of integrity. Thank you so much that we are better together. Thank you so much that our story and how we got together is going to be such a God testimony. God, thank you so much for my financial breakthrough. Thank you, God, for every penny that I have invested into my business. You are going to bring back tenfold. God, thank you so much for encouraging and opening the eyes of my community and revealing yourself. Thank you, God, for opening doors of restoration in my family that feel impossible. I'm thanking you right now as if it's already happened. Why? Because God, you are able. And so I'm sitting there and I am just thanking God, thanking God, thanking God for stuff that has never been done, stuff that still feels impossible. And I noticed as I was doing that, something in my spirit shifted. Like I began to feel connected to hope and connected to God in such a new way, in such a fresh way. I did something in my spirit, thanking God before the breakthrough did something to me. So I want to share with you a story. If there was ever any person that needed a miracle, because some of you might be thinking, well, that's great. Like you're thanking God for your husband. Like you're thanking God for financial provision. You're thanking God for restoration in your family. But I have real problems. You you don't even know. 
And you're right. I don't, I don't know your story and I don't know where you're at, but I do believe that there is the God of the universe that knows every hair on your head, that before a word even comes out of your mouth, he knows it all together, that he is behind and before you and all around you. He cares intimately about your story, about your spirit, about your restoration. He is always with you and he's not going anywhere. So wow, what encouragement is there in that? So if there was any person that needed a miracle, it was this woman named Hannah in the Old Testament. Now, Hannah has a really interesting story. So we we find this in 1 Samuel 1. So if you want to go through and read through this afterwards, this is where I am sharing the story from. So Hannah was this particular woman. She was married to a man named Elkanah. And in this time of history, the woman's purpose, the woman's lot in life was marriage, motherhood, and to produce an heir for her husband. So not to only have children, but to bear a son so that the family line and the family legacy could move forward. And so if you could not have children, this would have been like the most shameful thing that you could experience as a woman. Like your purpose, your calling, the reason for your existence stripped out of your hands if you could not have kids. Or maybe you could have kids, but you couldn't have a boy no matter how many times you tried. So Hannah is this woman and she's married to this man and she is unable to have children. She's barren. And because of this, her husband had the right to throw her out. He could have made her a hired servant. He could have made her a slave. He could have left her in the desert to fend for herself. He had no culturally like There was no reason why he would have kept her around as a spouse or paying for her to live in his household. She had nothing to offer him. Yet, Scripture says that he loved her and he provided for her. And also, there was this other woman in the picture So imagine, you know, this is old, the olden days where men had multiple wives and there's another woman in the house and she is the constant, her presence is like the constant existence of who you aren't and what you're not able to do. So she was the woman that had the children and left the namesake and left the legacy And every single day for Hannah's existence, she is impacted with this reality that she cannot have children and that the other woman can. So I want you to imagine what would it be like if the most painful part of your story, that one thing that is so shameful to you that you are so embarrassed about, that is like the biggest pain between your relationship with yourself, your relationship to others, and even your relationship to God, everyone knew about. For sure, the community knew about it. For sure, the household knew about it. Obviously, the other woman knew about it. Obviously, her husband knew about it. But the servants in the household knew about it. And these were small towns that said that they lived outside of town. So that means their neighbors knew about it. You know, today, because of 
the internet and social media and filters, we are able to sort of project this image of ourselves, even when we're in the midst of pain and heartache and disappointment and neck deep in struggle or debt or our marriages are falling apart, we're still somehow able to keep that secret in a way that a long time ago, they really weren't able to do that. So instead of hiding, everyone knew the most painful part of her story. Even still, every single year, Elkanah, the husband, took his family, that included Hannah, the other woman, the children, to the main town to the temple to offer sacrifices. This was a yearly, a yearly event that they all did. And Elkanah would provide portions for everyone in the family to offer as a sacrifice. But Tana, it says he offered double portion because he loved her, though God had closed her womb. So even though she had nothing to offer, she had nothing to give, she somehow was still loved still provided for and not just like her basic needs, but she was provided double portion. And then after that, it says her rival, the other woman would provoke her grievously to irritate her because God had closed her womb. So the thing she feels most ashamed about every day, day in, day out, day in, day out, this other woman would remind her, you are nothing. You have nothing to offer. You can't have kids. You mean nothing to this household. And uh, Hannah's reaction is really interesting. Like I would feel like in the Bible, it'd be like the person that God would like exalt would be this person that like handled the trial and struggle really, really well. But yet it says that Hannah wept bitterly and she was heartbroken and she would weep for days on end. And this went on for year after year after year, this provoking, this shame invoking relationship in the household. And it even says Hannah was so depressed that she wouldn't even eat. So her husband comes to her and bless him. He's like so many men. He just wants to fix. He wants to come in and rescue. And so he says, why are you weeping? And why don't you eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than 10 sons? And it's almost like he's reminding her, like, I love you. Like no one else in this culture thinks that I should keep you around, but I love you. Isn't that enough? Isn't my love for you enough? And how often do we want a significant other to meet those needs of our hearts, to heal our wounds, to heal and answer the questions deep within us that no human can actually answer? Yet Hannah continues to be heartbroken. And it says year after year after year, they go back to the temple and they offer sacrifices. And year after year, Hannah goes to the temple alone and she falls on her face in the throne room. And it says she's deeply distressed and prays to God and weeps bitterly. And she's making promises to God and saying things like, if you'll, if you'll just look at me and give me a son, I'll do anything. Like I'll like, I'll give you my son. I'll dedicate him to you. So she's like bartering, like bartering with God, which how many of us knows if that goes really well? Like God doesn't typically work that way. God, you do this for me and I'll do this for you. So she's imperfectly going to God over and over and over again. And she's just crying out for this breakthrough. Like the most impossible thing in the world to her is that she could have 
by the off chance, one child, just one. She goes back over and over and over again. And as she continues to pray before God, the priest of the temple, Eli, comes to her and he's watching her and he's like, this woman seems crazy. Like she looks like she's drunk. Like that's, can you imagine being so desperate for God to show up in your life that you are crying out to him? Like at a church service, you're on your face and the people around you are like, that person must be on drugs. Like that person is crazy. But no, this is a woman desperate for God to move in her life. She doesn't care what it looks like. She doesn't care how snotty she is. She doesn't care how it looks to other people. All she is focused on is keeping her eyes on God and begging for her breakthrough. The priest comes up to her and is like, "Um, how long are you going to go on being drunk in my temple? Put your wine away from you. And Hannah goes to him and says, no, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I'm not drunk and I actually don't even drink strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before God. Don't regard your servant as a worthless woman for all along. I have been speaking out my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, go in peace and the God of Israel grant you your petition that you have made before him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. Something really countercultural happens here. Hannah The good, submissive, spiritual woman in this sense and in this time, if a man were to call her out and especially a public leader, even if she was right, the quote unquote proper response for her would have been to bow her head and bow out quietly. Yet she counterculturally stands up for herself, stands up for her faith, stands up for her breakthrough, stands up for her integrity and character and looks this man in the eye and and says, no, like, I'm not drunk. You got it wrong. You're wrong here. And I'm not going to stop asking God to do this in my life. And something happens. God softens Eli, the priest's heart. And his heart changes towards her instead of condemnation. He blesses peace over her and says, man, you, you keep praying. And I pray that God gives you the thing that you're looking for. The interesting thing here also is that her prayer isn't answered, yet her depression lifts. Have you felt that before ever? Like, you are praying and begging God for something in your life and perhaps your situation or circumstance doesn't change, but yet the heaviness lifts. I think we underestimate the value of that specific blessing. The story continues that they, the family, Elkanah, the other woman, the children, Hannah, get up early the next morning and they worship God again. And then they go back to their house. After that, it says Elkanah knew his wife. And when it says no or knew, that means that they had sex together. And God remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. So her depression lifts, the heaviness lifts before the answered prayer. 
And God doesn't immediately answer her prayer. You would think, man, after this like crazy countercultural moment in the temple where she stands up for herself, where she the depression lifts, you would think, or at least I would think, oh man, like the miracles here, the miracles coming. She goes home, she sleeps with her husband, and God remembers her, but it says in due time. So not immediately, but it does happen. She gets the biggest miracle that she could ever have expected or prayed for. Now, I think it would be easy for me to kind of stop there and be like, you know, God enters into your story and answers your prayer. Like that's the miracle. But the real miracle that I see in Hannah's life is looking back through her story and the year in and year out of um, pain struggle. I can only imagine that she felt forgotten by God and provoked and made fun of and shamed by her family, the people close to her. Yet she continues to stay faithful. Like she doesn't lose heart, even if she doesn't go to God perfectly. Like she's weeping bitterly. She has depression. Like she is inconsolable. Like her husband is like, yeah, like, what do I do? Can I just fix this? Yet in that time, she keeps going back. She keeps getting on her knees. She keeps going before God. And I think that takes real courage. And I see woven throughout like God's favor and blessing over her life, a woman who had no power in that time period, who her worth was defined by what she could offer to the family. And she had nothing to offer her family, yet she wasn't cast out. And even she was loved and provided for in double portion. And when she should have been publicly shamed for standing up to the priest publicly in the temple, she was honored for it. And then her depression and fog and heaviness lifts. And then in due time, God answers her prayers. But I think God was answering her prayers all along by his provision, by his blessing, and by his presence. And I think it's so easy to miss that. Like we're so focused on the breakthrough. We're so focused on what God hasn't done for us that it's so hard to see what he's already doing, where he's already working. So today we're talking about praising God before the breakthrough. Like how do we do that? And why do we do that? Well, one, I praise God before my breakthrough because God is able. Daniel 3, 17 through 18, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not bowing down to King Nebuchadnezzar who built this 90-foot golden statue of himself and made a public decree for all people to bow down and worship him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to do that because they were like, no, we're not going to worship a human. We only worship the God of the universe. So they were arrested and their punishment was death by being thrown into a furnace. Like I cannot even imagine that. So they're at this crossroads where it's like the rubber is hitting the road here. Like it's easy to say, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to have the courage to, to stand up in the trial. But what are you actually going to do in the trial? 
This was their response to the king. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship that golden image that you have set up. And so it's like, they're like, our God is able. We don't know if he will do this, but we know that he is able to do this. So we're not bowing down to any other person. We're not bowing down to fear. We're not bowing down to circumstances. We're not bowing down to our emotions. Our God is able. So we are going to stay faithful. And I want to be that person. I don't know about you, but like in my situations that feel so impossible, I want to praise before the breakthrough because God's able to. And even if he doesn't, he's still good. He's still God. And that leads me to my next point. Why do I praise before the breakthrough? Because it reorients my affections on who God is. Isaiah 43, 19, this is one of my life verses. It says, see, behold, I'm doing a new thing. I make streams in the deserts. God is the God that when there is no way, when your circumstances feel impossible, when statistics and culture are telling you one very specific story, God's saying, I'm in the business of doing the impossible. The impossible is possible to me. We are talking about a God who breathed life and color and the mountains and the galaxies and the black hole and the ants and the hairs on our head into existence. That is who we are praying to. When there is no way, God makes a way. God is bigger than our circumstances. Statistics are nothing for him. All he has to do is breathe it. And it is so. So when I praise God before my breakthrough, when I stay connected to him, it reminds me of who he is that he is able and he is the one who does the impossible all the time. And I don't know about you, but I want to be in a place in my life where I'm like, I want to, I want to see the impossible done. Like I want to see the miracle. And so I'm going to keep asking for it because God's able. And even if he doesn't do it, he's good. But I want to see crazy things happen in my life. And I want them to happen in such a way that God can only get credit for it. Because then three, that keeps me dependent on him. Impossible situations show me how finite I am, how limited my power is. You see, we live in a culture that says, I'm the captain of my own ship. And if it's meant to be, it's up to me. And caveat here is I will say that I believe as humans, we have way more power and authority and freedom and access to wholeness than so many of us live into, especially people of faith. We hide behind spirituality or do this spiritual bypass thing instead of taking real responsibility over our lives. So I think there's actually a lot of um, power and authority that we can step into However, I also believe that I need someone bigger than me, outside of me, outside of my circumstances to come into my life, come into my circumstances to restore, fix, rescue, save, provide. And so praising before the breakthrough keeps me dependent on a God that is much, much, much bigger and can do much, much more than I will ever be able to do. Praying before the breakthrough allows me to stay connected to hope and gratitude. Romans 5, 5 is a verse that I declare over my life all the time. It says, hope does not put us to shame. 
We're so afraid to hope because we've been hurt in the past. Friend, I, for so much of my life, thought I was destined, basically, I was, I thought I was destined to be a virgin for the rest of my life because who in the world would love a person like me? Or I thought if God has a person for me to marry, then I'm going to have to settle or compromise in a major way because I had been hurt so much in the past. I had had unhealthy, toxic relationships with men. And I had been so hurt by my relationship with my dad as a child that I felt like hope felt too risky. And if I hoped or had the audacity to ask God for the type of relationship that I really wanted and longed for, well, I knew, I felt that I knew the inevitable answer to that prayer was no, because I felt unworthy of it. And so hope was too risky for me. So I didn't hope. And colliding with this verse transformed my life because it says hope does not put us to shame. So what if we had the audacity to take that promise at its word? Hope does not put me to shame. So what if we hoped and believed and prayed for miracles and breakthroughs and the impossible like we had no shame, trusting that even if or when God doesn't answer our prayers how we want him to, that he works all things together for the good of those who love him as Romans 8, 28 said that even what darkness meant for evil, God is going to use for good. That's from Genesis 50, 20. I want to be a woman that boldly prays and believes and hopes for the craziest situations. A, because I'm a daughter of the creator And that means that I have inherent worth, value, dignity, but I have access. I have access to hope. I have the authority to hope. And even if I don't get the thing I want or long for, I'm still connected to hope. Like those are promises that we have access to. So I don't know about you, but I want to claim those promises. And because of that, like when we're looking for a miracle, when we're expecting God to do things, guess what? It's like our eyes are open opened to gratitude. I'm able to see, holy cow, like God providing for me financially in the smallest ways. When we're praying, let's just talk about financial breakthrough. When we're praying for crazy big things and I need a breakthrough in my finances, then you better believe that I am looking for the breakthrough. And so every little thing that happens, every little tiny job that comes in, an unexpected paycheck, I get to thank God for all of it. Now, regardless if I acknowledge that, he still did it. God is the great provider. But when I am connected to hope and I'm looking for the miracle, I am able to be grateful and express gratitude for such specific things. I think God is answering our prayers all the freaking time. We just aren't asking bold enough specific prayers. So we miss the miracles every single day in our lives. Lastly, how do we praise before the breakthrough and why do we do it? Well, God gets the credit and the glory. That's why I want to do it. I want to pray for the impossible because I want to see God do the impossible. And I want God to get the credit and glory because if it were up to me, I'm human, right? Like I'm 33 years old, Who, however old you are. That is how long you've been on this universe. We're limited, our, our power is limited. Our resources are limited. Even if you are the most wealthy, influential human being in the world, if you're Beyonce Knowles, you still have limit to your power. I want to submit to a power that is much greater than myself and outside of my circumstances. 
So let's go back to 1 Samuel 1, Hannah's story. The biggest miracle that she could believe for as a barren woman, as a woman who had been barren her entire life. And we don't know how many years go by between the beginning of her story and the time she has Samuel. But we do know that it says year after year after year. Years go by. And for a barren woman, one child would have been the biggest thing, the biggest breakthrough that a person could ever expect. But if we go down to the end of 1 Samuel 1 and into chapter 2, the story of Hannah ends with her not having one child, but six. I think it's important to acknowledge that. You see, my biggest dreams are small to God. Like we are talking to the God who breathed life into creation, who when there was nothing saw endless possibility, creativity, colors, vibrancy. My big dreams, the biggest thing I could ask or hope for is actually small to God. And he doesn't despise that. God doesn't despise small dreams. He knows we're human. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do abundantly more than we could ask or imagine, according to his power at work within us, to him be the glory. I don't know about you, but I want God to blow my biggest dreams out of the water. I want him to be like, yeah, Kat, I got you. I'm answering your biggest dream, but you have no idea how much more I have for you, how much more I can do. And to that, I say, God, Bring it on. I want you to do crazy things in my life and in my time and in my family and in this city and in this culture and in this world that only you can get the credit for. So, friend, I ask you, do you have the courage? Do you have the audacity to praise before the breakthrough? What is that thing in your life that you feel haunted by? the unanswered prayer, the unhealed relationship, the hope that feels lost, the thing that feels too risky to hope for because you've been disappointed so much in the past. What if you had the audacity, the courage to say, God, do it. Do what only you can do. And in fact, because I know you are so able Because I am so dependent on you, I'm going to thank you right now like it's already happened because you can do it. What if we entered our days like that? I think it could transform our existence as we know it. So is your dream too big for you? It better be because that will force you to pray circles around it. If you keep circling it in prayer, God will get bigger and bigger until you see your impossible prayer for what it really is. An easy answer for an almighty God. Mark Batterson, The Circle Maker. I want to pause to tell you about something I am I am so excited and passionate about. So for my single ladies, this one is for you. I just want to say I get it. Dating in today's culture can be a struggle fest. 
Do you ever feel like you're going to end up being a crazy cat lady watching Bachelor reruns, eating pirate booty all by yourself? I get it, girl. Let's face it. Dating can feel confusing, frustrating, isolating, and like a desert wasteland, but it doesn't have to be. I created a free resource guide just for you to support you in getting out there this year. It's called Six Tips to Activating Your Dating Life with Intention and Clarity. I truly believe that whether you've never been kissed or your last date was 20 minutes ago, this guide can support you in shaking things up and putting yourself out there in honoring and might I also say fun ways. These are the exact things I have implemented into my dating life over the last few years that have empowered me, given me clarity and propelled me into getting from my couch onto an actual date. So hold up. If you're married or already in a relationship, don't tune me out. I know you have some girlfriends in your life that would benefit from this. So whether you are married or you are a single girl ready to put yourself out there, go to bit.ly slash TRW dating. That's bit, B-I-T dot L-Y slash T-R-W stands for the refined woman dating. This is where you can grab your free guide, six tips to activate your dating life now. So ladies, let's get out there, shake things up and have fun. I am with you on the journey. 